How's it going, folks? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are, another weekend. It just blows me away how fast the weeks are going. It's, time, it seems like, is speeding up or something. Anyone, anyone else notice that? It seems like the days are going faster or something. Like the no sooner do you get up in the morning than the day's basically gone. It's it's mind blowing. Time's really flying. Anyways, here we go. Another Saturday. So, with this uh, today, we're going to be focusing a fair bit on the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, as paired with, uh, and we're going to be checking out Roman Catholicism. As this has come up, and a lot of people have been asking me about this, I've had an absolute crazy Roman Catholic crusade coming after me because I said, well, Catholicism is not Christian. Because it isn't. Roman Catholicism is not Christian. So we're going to be diving into the Word of God to see what Scripture says. We're going to be taking a look at the Biblical Mary as compared to the Roman Catholic Mary. And we're going to be taking a look at the gospel of nation as what the Bible says compared to what Roman Catholicism says. Um, so be prepared for that. Please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens and be ready for another great study. Uh, also, please keep in mind, uh, we're working on getting our new computer uh, up and running. Uh, it's going to be a few days yet before that can go on. Um, so meanwhile, we're using our backup emergency laptop, which has old software programs and stuff. So the audio and the video is not exactly the greatest. Um, just keep that in mind. So if there's glitches and the sounds sounds weird or whatever, just try to ignore it. Uh, if it skips and glitches, just bear with it. Uh, we'll just keep powering through. So uh, praise the Lord, we're still able to broadcast. Okay, so there's tons and tons and tons of stuff that we could jump into in regards to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, I kind of sat here kind of in a daze trying to think, okay, where in the world do you start? There's so much wrong with the Roman Catholic cult. There's so much wrong. Uh, so... I decided to to kind of tackle two topics. Uh, we're going to be taking a look at the biblical Mary and the one-time atonement of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be taking a look at the at uh, the Roman Catholic Mary versus the biblical Mary. Then we're going to look at uh, salvation by the one-time atonement of Jesus Christ according to Scripture versus the uh, earning your salvation by self-atonement by Roman Catholicism. We're going to be tackling that. Um, and also there's a couple other things I'll be throwing in as, as we go along, of course, because of course we really want to hammer this one down. So if you have any uh, comments, questions, issues, insights regarding this study at hand, please go ahead, ask away. We'd be glad to hear from you. Um, so we're going to see what happens here, how long this takes. I don't know how long this will go. Uh, we might just rip right through it. Maybe not. So 
you know, sometimes we just need to grab a hold of our clocks and watches and just throw them out the window. We run our lives so much by time. We got to learn to just ignore time. Okay. So, where do you start? So, let's back up. And the uh, post that I made on Instagram last week, or like a week ago, almost, uh, all against Roman Catholicism, uh, saying how it's not Christian, uh, denouncing their uh, Mary worship. They say, well, you don't worship Mary while they worship Mary. Uh, and all the different stuff that goes on, there's so much. Now, all of their traditions and their protocols and their rituals and, and their all of their catechism, the papal bulls, all of their idolatry and all of the flamboyance. There's so many things you can put your finger on to show that it's wrong. But ultimately, what is salvationary? You see, you could tackle all of the stuff, but ultimately, what's salvationary? So when you're dealing with the cults, when you're dealing with Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, or any of the other religions... What you want to deal with is the person of Jesus Christ and how are you saved. That's it. So you've got to know how to present Jesus Christ according to Scripture. And you got to know how to present salvation according to Scripture. How we're saved by grace through faith by belief alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ alone. Jesus doesn't need anyone's help. And that his, his work on the cross was sufficient, complete, the one-time atonement. It is finished, as he said. Adding to that, dismissing that, and saying, no, you got to do more in addition to, not only does that strip away the very person of Jesus Christ, makes him incompetent, but also makes him a liar, and it changes the very gospel that's all throughout the word of God. Denying grace, which our salvation is by. As the Roman Catholic Catechism flat out says, and you can go look it up. It actually says that the doctrine of salvation by grace alone is heresy. It's anathema maranatha. That the Roman Catholic Church has flat out decreed ultimate condemnation upon grace alone salvation. They've said that. It's in their catechism. It's a proud statement by the Roman Catholic Church. They pronounce ultimate condemnation upon the gospel of grace alone. Let that sink in for a moment. Because all throughout the word of God, you see that we're saved by grace. Now, what is grace? We go over this many, many, many times. And this is the tool of the teacher is repetition. So you're going to keep doing this. So you always remember it. Grace. Unmerited favor. Unmerited. Unmerited favor. Meaning I didn't merit it. I didn't earn it. It's not a reward. I don't deserve it. But he gave it to me anyways because he so loved me. 
I did absolutely nothing to earn my salvation other than to believe. That's faith. Trusting belief is faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Titus 3, 5. Not by righteous works. Galatians 2, 16. Not by works of the law. So, when we approach the Catholic Church, we also have to understand its history. That when you're going to be tackling the cults, you got to know a bit about its founder and a, a bit about its history, where it came from, to be able to tackle it coherently, competently. It's just like Seventh-day Adventism. You want to study up the founder, the creator of the cult of Seventh-day Adventism, Ellen G. White. And she was a baptismal regenerationist and believed you could lose your salvation and believed that you had to, in addition to believing in Jesus, you also had to maintain to keep your salvation by works. She was a works-based salvationist and she preached a false gospel and that's what the whole Seventh-day Adventism cult is based on. The same with Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses. He believed a lot of stupidity and that... Uh, that not everybody's going to go to heaven. You have to get to heaven by annoying people by banging on their doors. Um, I don't even want to go down that road. It's a it's a clown world once you go to Jehovah's Witnesses. But then you go to Mormonism and Joseph Smith, the founder there. He was a, he was a witch a witchcraft practitioner. He was arrested for witchcraft, and he preached Luciferianism, and he combined that with the duality of as above, so below, the witchcraft thing about how Jesus and Satan are spear brothers and you can be a god of your own planet if you wear your magic underwear. No joke. All of them. It's good to know the founder, the crazy, so you get an idea of the base of beliefs and what you're approaching. Now, with Roman Catholicism, it's a bit of a Heinz 57 because Catholicism teaches that well, as it moves across the world, uh, they don't so much as do away with other belief systems when they come into an area uh, like Haiti, for example. When Catholicism came into Haiti, they didn't do away with the pagan practices of the people there. They actually adopted it. So that's what Catholicism does. It adopts the, the practices and belief systems and kind of just modifies and tweaks it a little. So, for example, that's why in Haiti, you can be an actual practitioner of voodoo, a voodoo priest, and still be a good Catholic. And still, technically, by Catholicism, go to heaven, still practicing voodoo. Uh, where the Roman Catholic voodoo is now known as voodoo. They change it a little bit. So, instead of worshipping the voodoo goddess, it's now kind of a, a, a hybrid hybrid half-breed voodoo goddess Mary kind of thing and you can also call upon Mary in their voodoo practices and it's, just, it's all just bizarre but anyways that's Catholicism they adopt and they just tweak it a little bit that's why that's what happened at the very beginning where uh, Roman Emperor Constantine uh, when he came came to power as he wanted to unite his empire but he didn't want to do it through military force. 
So what he chose to do is instead of military force or whatever, he decided to do it by religion. So what he did is he gathered all of the known religions of the Roman Empire and he scooped them all up, dumped them all into one big pot. He also put Christianity in there, stirred it all up and bowled out this abomination that became the Universal Church of the Roman Empire. Universal means Catholic. Catholic means universal. So the so the Roman Empire Universal Church. So the Roman Catholic Church. But they didn't call it Roman Catholic Church back then. It was the Universal Church of the Roman Empire, Universal Belief System, Religion of the Roman Empire. And then what he did is he set up priests and bishops and all these and teachers and stuff to start uh, figuring out this new belief system. That's what the Ro Roman Catholic Council of Nicaea, the Council of Trent, and all of those were all about for them to figure out, okay, now well, what do we actually believe? So they went through the scriptures and they denied and rejected and twisted and modified and added until they finally could agree on what they wanted to believe according to their belief system. And that's why the Council of Nicaea, the Council of Trent, are not Christian. The Council of Nicaea is not Christian. It's Roman Catholic. It's that That's where their beliefs came from. They did not codify our Bibles. They did not go, okay, what's scripture, what's not. They did not canonize our Bible. They canonized their own. They're not Christian. All right, so now where do we go from here? Because a lot of the Roman Catholic beliefs also came down through time through the evolution of the church down through the era more and more and more and more things kept getting added and they wrote their own books now because when you take a look at the roman catholic cult uh there's virtually nothing in the old or new testament that justifies their belief system so what they had to do is they had to write their own scriptures just like the mormon church just like all the cults do. All of the cults write their own scriptures in addition to the Bible. And they say you can't just read the Bible alone. You have to use our books to understand it. That's like the first red flag of a cult. Saying, oh, you can't just read the Bible alone. You have to read our own stuff. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. That's what Mormons do. Seventh-day Adventists do. That's what Catholics do. That's what Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and everyone else does. They write their own scriptures and say, they say you have to read and adhere to our writings. And the writings of the Roman Catholic cult is known as the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha. The book of Tobit, the book of Maccabees, the book of Judas, the book of Bob. All of these apocryphal texts are not scripture. If you actually take the apocryphal texts and you pair, you lay them here, and you open the Bible here, and you take a look, you would not believe how much the Apocrypha contradicts the Word of God. The book of Judas is supposed to be written by Judas Iscariot, where it actually makes him a good guy, where he's the secret best friend of Jesus, and he actually did not get possessed by the devil, and, and he actually was just helping Jesus fulfill Jesus' work. Uh, that contradicts the Bible. The book of Mary is where they get the ideas of Mary veneration, Mary worship, and all of that kind of nonsense garbage. And the book of Thomas is a Gnostic gospel where actually it actually preaches the inverse, where God is actually evil. And that's a, and it's actually a big inspiration and a required reading for Gnostics. Seriously. 
it preaches Gnosticism. That Jesus actually is incompetent. All kinds of stuff. It's such garbage. Uh, heretical, blasphemous garbage in the Apocrypha. Then you get down to all kinds of other things. So you have all their traditions and their sacraments, which are based off a lot of um, pagan and heathen practices. Where, as I was mentioning, Constantine gathered all the different belief systems of the Roman Empire, of the Greek pantheon. And what they did is that all of the gods and goddesses of the Greek pantheon, they had a god for literally everything. They had a god for the poor. They had a god for the rich. They had a god for the sick. They had a god that you could pray to to intercede for you for hiccups or colds or illnesses or whatever. They had gods for for sailors. They had a god for the army. They had a god for the for the for the field workers. They had a god for politicians. They had a god for everything. So what did what did Constantine do? Instead of turning with, instead of having the Greek gods, he turned them into Roman Catholic saints. He just renamed them. That's why the Roman Catholic Church has a saint for absolutely everything. They have a saint for hiccups. They have, they have a saint for everything. They call on saint. I don't know. Make up a name. They'll have a saint for it. That's, but that's directly from the Greek pantheon. They just renamed the Greek gods. That's all it is. Now, just like every single other belief system in the entire world, other than true born-again Christianity, Roman Catholicism is a works-based system where you have to earn your salvation. By good works and we're gonna be looking into that now ultimately what will a catholic tell you no 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 we're saved by grace we're saved by grace we're saved by oh okay uh then what's purgatory all about well that's just where you go to atone for your sins okay i'm really really confused then what was the point of jesus well, he died on the cross so we could be saved. And what was his work on the cross for? Why did he shed his blood and die? But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So there must be a death and shedding of blood for the atonement for sins. So if Jesus Christ shed his blood and died on the cross, then what do you need to atone for? Because according, but but according to the Roman Catholic Catechism, now I've actually personally read this. I, I got a hold of the Roman Catholic Catechism, and I opened it up and I took a look at their doctrines according to Purgatory, and you will not find a single single passage in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You won't find one single individual passage that even remotely hints at any form of purgatory. Now, what is purgatory? Well, according to the Catholics, they believe that if you're really, really good, uh, you'll, you'll go, go to heaven. But if you're not really, really good, you're only kind of good. Uh, uh, you know, you've done, you've done some good things. You still have some sins or whatever. you got to go to this middle area called purgatory. And if you're really, really bad, you do really bad, bad things. Like blasphemy and sell yourself to the devil, you go straight to hell. Uh, but Hitler, he went to purgatory. 
And so he has to stay there for like a trillion years to suffer in the fires of purgatory until he's holy enough to enter the bliss of heaven. That's what, that's what purgatory is. It is this middle area that everyone basically goes to. And you, depending on the amount of sins that you've committed and you haven't repented of, you suffer in the fires of purgatory until you're holy enough to enter the bliss of heaven. That's what purgatory doctrine is according to Catholicism. So you atone for your own sins, and that's their actual wording, where you atone for your own sins. You atone for your sins until you're holy enough to enter the bliss of heaven. Um, what about Jesus? And then there's the whole the whole Mary thing. The whole Mary thing. Where Mary, depending on the sect of Catholicism, because they can't even really agree on this. Uh, some Catholics uh, say some things about Mary, some others. Some are more wacko than others. Some Catholics say that Mary is the most important part of the Godhead. Yeah, that's not blasphemy or anything. And some Catholics will say that Mary was sinless. She never sinned. She was sinless. So that contradicts scripture. It says all have sinned. All are fallen away. All have become corrupt. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. All all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So, that, so obviously Mary's the exception. So, but the Bible says all. All except Mary. It doesn't say that. Um. And that Mary was sinless, and she never sinned, and she was holy, and that, that that she gave birth to Jesus, and she never had more children, even though the Bible says she had more, more children, and that she she retained her her eternal virginity, she uh, that she never lost her virginity. Uh, her and Joseph had more children, and that she was so holy she didn't die. All will die, the Bible says, except Mary. But and that Mary, when her time came, she never died, but she ascended, and she's. Seats seated on the hand of God, interceding for the saints. Oh, replacing Jesus. So let's take a look at that. And they make statues of her and they bow to her. They kiss her statue. Uh, they venerate and worship the statues and they decorate the statues. They wash the statues. They, they put the statues on pedestals and they carry them around in parades and everyone adores the statues. So we don't worship Mary, though. Well, they bow and pray and kiss and cry and, and, and hug the statues and carry them around, build shrines and temples and churches built around these statues. And they call upon Mary for their prayers. And Mary's your intercessor. Mary's your advocate. Mary's your medium. Mary's your grand redemptress. She redeems you, you know. Not Jesus, but Mary redeems you. And that, 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 that Mary's the one that helps get you to heaven, not Jesus. So they virtually replace Jesus with Mary on everything except the cross. If they could find a way to put Mary on the cross, they would. Not one single thing. Of Roman Catholicism is backed by the Bible. It's all, all extra biblical. It means outside the Bible. It's all papal decree. It's all Roman Catholic tradition. It's all catechismic theology, not biblical theology. And that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. 
I haven't even got to everything else. You then you got the confession box where you go to a guy dressed as mother wanting to be called father who who sits in a wooden box and you can tell him all your bad stuff and he somehow can forgive your sins. And then there's everything else. I'm not even get down there. We're eating a little magic wafer cookie can forgive your sin. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so stupid. Um, <laughs> and then, oh, wait, we're, and that you can light candles and these magic candles and make your wish come true. That's, that's candle magic witchcraft. Seriously, that's where they get that from. And all of the other stuff, and you count, you count the beads, and you chant the beads, and oh my word, oh it's so bad. But they're Christian. But it's Christian. Yeah, it's as Christian as every other world religion is. Um, okay, now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I forgot something. I, I need to back up. This I haven't even gotten started yet. I'm just building the foundation. But, but the idea of purgatory, do you know where the idea of purgatory came from? Hmm? Do you know where the idea of purgatory originated from? <laughs> Believe it or not, back in the early 1500s. So, if you actually do history on the Roman Catholic Church and the different popes uh, down through the Middle Ages, um, it's not... It's not good reading for young minds because um, a lot of the popes were very, very, very immoral, vile, disgusting, reprobate perverts. You wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. Some of the popes ha would have orgies. Yeah. One of the popes. Pope Sylvester, yeah, not Bugs Bunny Sylvester, yeah, no, Pope Sylvester was a sorcerer, was a practitioner of black magic witchcraft. He was known as the Sorcerer Pope, the black magic Pope. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a lot of stuff they did. Some of them were, were incest pedophile perverts. Oh, yeah, and these are supposed to be the holy vicars of Christ upon earth. Yeah, okay. Anyways, where is it going with this? In the early 1500s, I forget the guy's name, but it doesn't matter. But the Pope of the early 1500s, he blew all of the all of the Catholics' money on art. He blew it all on art and statues and, and lavish lifestyle, and they went bankrupt. And they were in the process of trying to build St. Peter's Basilica. And they ran out of money because this guy just, he couldn't stop spending his money. So they decided to come up with a quick fix of trying to drum up more money so that they could build St. Peter's Basilica. So the Pope got a hold of a very popular, powerful monk named Tetzel. This guy, very powerful, very persuasive. Uh, this monk named Tetzel, he, he gave him the decree to go around and sell indulgences. Sell indulgences. And an, an indulgence is something you could buy, which is you, literally the, the, the ditty that Tetzel would do is he'd come in and they'd blow the trumpets and the drums and he'd come in with a big show and and, and they would set up all the stalls and the tables and stuff and they get the, the coin chest there and then he would go start and say, the moment a coin clinks in the chest, a soul from purgatory will fly to heavenly rest. And you literally 
could buy souls out of purgatory and hell. No joke. The idea of purgatory was created as a get-rich-quick scheme. It goes to show how many people don't read their Bibles. And they bought it. The people bought it. They believed it. Well, how could they believe it? Because the Catholic Church wouldn't let people even read the Bible. Then if you grabbed the whole of the Bible and you weren't a Catholic priest, you were burned at the stake. If you read the Bible, quoted the Bible, had a Bible, and you weren't a Catholic priest, you're burned at the stake. If you quoted scripture, not in Holy Latin, burned at the stake. So they didn't allow anyone to read the Bible. So they literally could cause the people to believe any, absolutely anything they made up. And they made up the doctrine of purgatory as a get-rich-quick scheme. You, you just give money to the Catholic Church and they'll let anyone you want out of purgatory. That's where Martin Luther actually got in big trouble for saying, well, if the if the Pope is so powerful that he could let anyone out of purgatory that he wanted, why doesn't he then, out of pure Christian charity, free everyone out of purgatory? And the Pope got mad. So, okay. Let's take a look here. Where do you start? There's so, so much wrong with the Catholic Church. It is not Christian by any stretch of the imagination. But this is where we got to take a look at Matthew chapter 7. They say they believe in Jesus. They say they believe Jesus went to the cross. They say you're saved by, by grace, but they don't actually believe it. They say they believe the gospel. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? Now, just as the Bible also says, to call no man your father, for there's one is your father, even God. So not, not Pope Francis, the talking donkey, but rather, uh, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Okay. Now, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And people say, well, see, see, so uh, not everyone who believes will get there. You have to do. No, 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 no. Look at the people are saying. Have we not? Have we not done? Have we not done? Have we not done? Have we not done? But what does the Bible say? It's not by works, not by righteous works, not by works of the law. It's by grace through faith are you saved. Nowhere do they say, have we not believed in thy name? They were trusting in their works and righteous works. They were trusting in their religiosity. They were trusting in their religiosity to save them. They were trusting in their religious traditions and religious fervor and religious zealousness and their religious charities. They were trusting in all of their religious sacraments. They were not 
trusting in Christ by grace through faith by belief alone, like the scriptures say. That's why Christ denies them. Close to the cross, far from the blood. And as the uh, great powerful preacher, Jonathan Edwards, once said, I bring nothing to the table of my salvation other than the sin that made it necessary. We bring only our sin because we have no righteousness. There's nothing we could do. If you had a billion trillion years, you couldn't earn one micron of God's favor. But the Catholic Church says, no, no, you just go to the fires of purgatory for, you know, like 100,000 years or something like that, and you'll be holy enough to enter heaven. Uh, chapter verse, please. Actual chapter of Bible, not Apocrypha. Show me from the Old or New Testament where it says that, and I'll believe it. But you can't. So let's take a look at something else. In Romans, I got a lot of bookmarks here. Okay, in Romans, chapter 8. So let's take a look at the idea that we have to atone for our own sins. That salvation is in our own hand. Because Catholicism teaches that, okay, firstly, okay, let's, let's actually back up here. Let's pretend, okay, let's, let's pretend. We're going to use our sanctified imagination and we're going to pretend to become a Catholic. Okay? I'm going to put a pause on this. Let's say, hypothetically, I convert to Catholicism. How do I do that? Well, firstly, you need to be saved. How are you saved by Roman Catholicism? Well, you see, you still have all your sin. And your sins can only be forgiven by the waters of baptism, which wash away all of your sin, literally. So this is what, this is what their catechism says. The Roman Catholic catechism flat out says the waters of baptism purge you of all of your sins utterly. That you are actually sinless sinless so holy sinless so you got to get dunked in water sorry sorry no I, i'm wrong you get sprinkled you get sprinkled they, they get they get a little bit of water and they just sprinkle or that they might drizzle some from some holy cup or something over your head no all of your sins are gone okay but somehow even though you're sinless you still you still wind up sinning but how do you wind up sinning if you're sinless because if all your sins are gone then how do you wind up sinning i don't know but somehow you do and you got to now do the sacraments you got to have your first mass i see so you got to go to the mass and you got to eat this magic eucharist wafer cookie oreo thingy and somehow this wafer cookie absolves you of your sin and then you got to drink the wine if you're holy enough. You can drink the wine, which also is magically somehow through their hocus pocus thing. Um, uh, that's actually a phrase from the Roman Catholic Mass, hocus pocus. That's actually a part of the Latin phrasing of their turning actual alcohol wine into the literal blood of Jesus. Right. Okay. Somehow you then have to be a cannibal and drink actual human blood and drink Jesus' blood. And... Uh, 
and that somehow forgives your sin as well. But then you wind up sinning again, and then you have to then go to the priest every so often and as much as you want, actually. And he sits in a little wooden box dressed as mother, wanting to be called father. And you sit on the other side of this little wooden wall thing with this little screen thingy, and you got to tell him everything you've ever done bad. And then he says, okay, for that, you know, go walk on your knees and say 10 Hail Marys. And all of your sins will be gone. And you have to do this over and over and over and over. In addition to keeping the Ten Commandments and all the Catholic rituals, all the Catholic charitable things, and all the Catholic pro religiosity, all of their stuff, you got to get the rosary, count the rosary, and then you got to call upon Jesus' mommy. And she somehow intercedes for you, advocates for you, intercedes for you, and not just Mary, but every other saint you can think of, and ask them to go to God for you because, well, as the Bible says, you can go before God boldly, but you technically can't. So you got to do all this other stuff. And you got to maintain all of this, keep doing this. And what's the reason for doing all and all of these things, the constant masses, all the, the Hail Marys, all the confessionals and all the stuff and to do, do and do and do and do. What's the purpose of it? To limit the amount of time you spend in purgatory. The more and more and more things you do limits the amount of time you have to spend in purgatory. So instead of, let's say, you know, like, five million years in purgatory you may only if you're really good you may only actually wind up having to spend maybe a thousand years in purgatory the fires of purgatory so you're holy enough to enter the bliss of heaven uh, or or if you're so holy you're so holy and you can go and you can uh, you, and you you give yourself completely like a, in a nunnery or a monkery monastery uh, and you, you seclude yourself from the world and you do all the Catholic stuff in seclusion by yourself like some hermit and you get so holy you're actually able to work miracles and if you actually commit a miracle the Pope will actually saint you and if you get sainted you immediately get a one-way free golden ticket to heaven you don't have you get to you get to skip purgatory you don't even have to go to purgatory None of that's in the Bible. Oh, I forgot. In addition to all of this, uh, if you also happen throughout your life of all of your religious fervor and zealousness and craziness, uh, if you happen to come across relics, relics, Catholic relics, like they've somehow found the, 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 the place where Adam and Eve were buried, and if you go to where Adam was buried, if you oh, and they also somehow found where the tree was cut down that made Jesus cross. And they, they, they found they found a lock of Elisha's Elisha the prophet's hair. Elijah was bald. And they somehow found that found some some bread from the Last Supper. They found some nails from the true cross where Martin Luther said they had so many nails, of the true cross, they could have made Noah's Ark. <laughs> um, they somehow found any everything all throughout the bible all the stuff all throughout the bible and if you go to these things oh they also found the head of john the baptist that the romans chopped off and if you go to any of these icons and you kneel down and you venerate the icons and artifacts and relics that'll that will also remove some time from purgatory like if you kneel to the severed head of john the baptist that'll take off fifty thousand years off of purgatory all of that that's what the catholic church says Not in the Bible. 
None of it. There's nothing that the Catholic Church says that's in the Bible. They say they say Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, but they don't even know what that means. They don't know what that means. If it wasn't so sad, it'd be funny. And the Roman Catholic Church is the largest religion in the world. The largest religion in the world. They have the most followers. Second to it is Hinduism. Um, and also on top of this, the vicar of Christ, that means in place of Christ on earth, Pope, he says that Muslims are our brothers and sisters, that the Muslim God is the God of the Bible, that they, that they, they're, they worship the same God as we do. And according to the Pope, you don't even need to believe in God. The Pope is on record of saying that as long as you're just a good person, you don't even need to believe in God. As long as you're just a good person, you'll go to heaven. He, the Pope said this in, in response to a uh, young man asking the Pope about his atheist father. That, this, that his atheist father was a good man, but he died not believing in God. And he asked the Pope what will happen to him. The Pope says, well, if he was a good man, he'll be in heaven. So you don't even need to believe in God to go to heaven. This is Catholicism, folks. This is Roman Catholicism. I have a, a friend... Uh, he, who actually was born in, grew up in India. And he's now living in Spain, but uh, he grew grew up and uh, he was born and grew up and lived in India all his life. He was a staunch Hindu for, for all of his life there until uh, I actually wound up leading him to the Lord and he got born again saved. He said, and after... After a couple of years uh, um, and studying his scripture, and he became a powerhouse of, of the faith, powerhouse of prayer and doctrine, he uh, uh, wound up having to go to a Catholic church because the family member was having a wedding, and he went there just because of family and all this stuff. He wasn't happy about having to go to the Catholic church. He said, "He says, you know, you wouldn't believe it, but I walked into the Catholic church building." And I honestly couldn't tell any difference between it and a Hindu temple. That's coming from an ex-staunch Hindu. That there's no difference, really, between a Catholic church building and a Hindu temple. It says it's all the same. They have their... They have their idols everywhere and all of the imagery and all of the religious traditions and sacraments and protocols. It's just... It's the same thing. <laughs> All right. Now let's take a look at this. In regards to self-atonement for sins, purgatory, 
doing away with grace that the Bible flat out teaches. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 33, going down to verse 39. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. It is God that justifies, not our deeds. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Christ intercedes. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then the scripture also says, There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that we will have to be judged for. There's nothing that we will have to suffer for, to be punished for. There's nothing that we will have to atone for. Because when we take a look at Scripture, and we see in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Mary. Oh, sorry, no. Uh, all of the dead saints. No, no. Uh, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. First Timothy 2, 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Mary. No, sorry. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So scripture flat out says Jesus is our advocate, mediator, intercessor. The Bible says virtually nothing. Scripture is utterly silent on the whole Mary thing. So with that, then, as Christ is our atonement, we see John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life by believing in him. Romans 10.9, confessing the belief of your heart upon him, you're saved. Acts 16.30.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Ephesians 1, verse 7, our sins are washed away by grace alone. Acts 10.43, your sins are forgiven by belief alone. Ephesians 1.13, you're sealed by the Spirit of God by belief alone. 
First John 5, 13, you know you're going to heaven because you believed in the name of the Son of God. And on and on and on. There's nothing in the entire word of God that says anything about us needing to atone for anything. We see 1 John 2, 2, Hebrews 10, 10 to 14, 10, 39, 1 Peter 2, 24, Hebrews 9, 12, 8, 12, Hebrews 13, 12. Christ did all of the atoning work. There is nothing left. This is kind of why Jesus said it is finished. What is finished? The atoning work. There's nothing left that needs to be done. That's why you believe and you're saved. You don't have to do anything to assist Christ to save you. There's nothing else that needs to be done but believe. That's what scripture says. For it's by faith, by faith, by grace, by belief. That's what scripture says. So let's take a look at the biblical Mary versus the Catholic Mary. Now for this, we got to go first to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. What does it say, Romans 3, 23? For all have sinned. Now, let me just little tongue-in-cheek here but um, is this the biblical all or is this kind of like you know the calvinist all where all doesn't mean all world doesn't mean world well it says all have sinned well what does that mean all have sinned so everyone who's ever lived in the entire world yes all have sinned and come short of the glory of god Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> so because all have sinned, all will die. And as the Bible says, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Okay. But according to Catholicism, Mary was sinless. Okay. What's their logic for that? Well, according to Roman Catholicism, when you really get to study enough, I've personally studied Roman Catholicism. I've read and, and uh, studied the Roman Catholic Catechism. I have personally debated countless Catholics. I've personally debated Roman Catholic priests and Roman Catholic theologians and scholars uh, many times. And according to Roman Catholicism, according to their catechism, according to their doctrines, their statement, their doctrinal statement, they say that Mary had to be sinless so that Jesus would be sinless. Because how can, how can a, a mother that's corrupted by sin give birth to a sinless baby? Well, it's because scripture teaches sin is in the blood. And it's very interesting when you look at biology. This is very interesting. That in the pregnancy, that when uh, a woman gets pregnant, and within them grows grows that baby, you know, the clump of cells, your clump of cells, we're all clumps of cells. And the Bible says that we're that at the moment of conception, we're a person with God. 
Now that baby starts growing. Uh, the process of growth there of the baby, it's very interesting that the blood of the mother does not mingle with the blood of the baby. The blood of the baby, the DNA, the genetics of the, of the blood, the blood actually comes from the father, not the mother. Go look it up. So technically, biology alone refutes the whole sinless Mary thing. So Mary did not need to be sinless to give birth to a sinless, a sinless baby. That the blood of God is sinless. Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. So that's interesting. So with that, we see a refutation of the sinless Mary by scripture and biology. They say Mary did not die, but she ascended. The Bible says it appointed to men once to die, and after this a judgment. Why? Because all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. Then we see in Luke, in Luke, Mary says her own words. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Why would Mary need a savior if she was sinless? Why would Mary need a savior if she was sinless? Hmm. And then we take a look at, at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 20. Sorry, no. Uh, yeah, I want to back a little bit here. Some say, well, she was blessed of God. She was blessed of God and that God made her sinless so that she, she could be the, the mother of God. Okay. And that even Gabriel came and said, hail Mary, full of grace. Did he? Did he actually say that? Did he actually say that? All right. Go to Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And while you're turning there, also turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Now, in it's interesting that if you actually take a look in the Bible, not a Catholic Bible, they changed it. They also, re, they also modified the Ten Commandments. They took out the, the commandment about making idols. They removed that commandment. And they took the last commandment about coveting and they split it into two so that there'd still be ten. They, they, so they modified, changed it. If you go look at the original manuscripts of the Koine Greek uh, translation, the Koine Greek, you see that uh, in uh, Luke 1, 28, and the angel came, uh, came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. He didn't say full of grace. Now, why is that important? Why is that a thing? Well, it's very important because full of grace is a title of God. Go over to Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. Now, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is of God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things are made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, 
Luke, uh, sorry, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, which is God, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace is a divinity title. That means infinite grace. So if Mary is full of grace, she's a god, goddess. Catholics deified Mary. They turned her into a god. She is sinless. She didn't die. She ascended. She's infinite in grace. She's the mother of God, the most important part of the Godhead. She's the grand redemptress. She's our intercessor, advocate, and mediator. So you mean like what the Bible calls where the pagans worship the queen of heaven, the, 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 the divine goddess, the divine feminine? Yeah, that's the Catholic Mary. So full of grace is a title of God, and that's in the actual real scriptures. Gabriel doesn't say. He says hail, which is basically the old way of saying hi, hello, how are you? Greetings, salutations. That's what hail means. Salutations. Greetings, thou that are highly favored. Why was she highly favored? Because, well, God chose her to fulfill the prophecy. Just like how Moses is highly favored to be the deliverer of Israel. It's like Daniel, Noah, highly favored. Elijah, highly favored. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, highly favored. Because God delivered them from the burning fiery furnace. Then we take a look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're at verses 43 to 51. Now we see something else about the biblical Mary versus the Catholic Mary. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 43, you see where Jesus is about 12 years old, and uh, they and Joseph, Mary, Jesus go to Jerusalem for a feast. And verse 43, and when they had fulfilled the days and they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist, it, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And when he went down with them, and came to Nazareth, there was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and fame of God and man. Mary blamed Jesus of making it of being unfair. She forgot all of the whole point of Jesus. She she forgot. And rather, she blamed Jesus making a mistake. Mary sinned. So she wasn't sinless. Also, we see that Jesus, all throughout the scriptures, it's mentioned many times that Jesus had brothers and sisters. James, the brother of Jesus, and he had half-sisters, 
uh, half brothers, and and Mary and his kinsfolk came to speak to them. And one of the disciples said, said thy, "Thy mother and thy brethren are outside, and they want to speak to you." And Jesus says, "These are my brothers and sisters." Now we also go over to Luke chapter eleven. So she wasn't a perpetual virgin. So Luke chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight. Luke chapter 11, verse 28, is a very interesting passage because we see Jesus shooting down veneration of his mother. This one's quite interesting. So go to verse 27, Luke 11, 27. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. But he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. He dismissed veneration of his mother. Right there, we see a woman venerating Mary. And Jesus dismisses it. Says, no, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Don't pay attention to my mother. Pay attention to the word of God. But you'll never hear Catholics say any of these things. So, we see Jesus on the cross, and he turns to John and says, uh, says John, Behold thy mother, mother, behold thy son. And because Joseph had died by that point. And it wasn't long after that we see that Mary isn't mentioned anymore. The point is that John looked after her until she died. Mary was just like you and me. She's a normal person, believer in the Lord. She was faithful to the Lord, and she was chosen to fulfill the prophecy of the Christ Messiah. She gave birth to the Messiah. That was her job. Uh, to be to be that which the Lord chose so that as Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, talks about how God came down in the fashion of a man, and he humbled himself unto death, even the death of the cross. And she gave birth to him, and she looked after him. Jesus is God. Mary is not. Mary has just as much stature and importance as all the other servants of God throughout the Bible. As Elijah, Moses, Noah, Samuel, Deborah, Esther, Hannah, Hannah, Huldah, Mary, Martha, Samuel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. She's the same. She, she's the servant of the Lord. And she has the same importance as the rest of the servants of the Lord. She's not the mother of God. So we got to keep in mind. The placement. People say, well, you're disrespecting Mary. Absolutely not. I'm respecting her because I'm putting her where she, where she biblically belongs. I haven't said anything bad about, about Mary. I'm not dissing Jesus' mommy or any of that kind of thing. I'm dissing the Catholic Mary. As a Catholic Mary, is not the biblical Mary. They've deified her. They, they've caused her to replace Jesus. Because according to Catholics, if you actually look into this, according to Catholics, this is in their actual writings. I'm not making this up. They say 
Jesus is so mad about our sins, we can't go to him with our sins. We have to go to Mary, his mother, because we then plead unto her all these things. She goes and calms him down. I'm not joking. They actually say this. They actually believe this, that he's so mad about our sins we can't go to. We have to go to his mother and, and bring up all these things to her that we need. She goes and calms him down, placates him, then presents what, what we've offered, and then he takes it and does it. I'm not joking. In the 1400s, in the 1400s, there was an unknown nameless monk. This unknown monk somewhere had a vision. He had a vision where he envisioned two ladders. And this one ladder at the top of the ladder was Jesus. The second ladder, Mary was at the top. This is actual Catholic history documentation. And that people were trying to climb the ladders to get to heaven. Now the people who climbed the ladder that Jesus at the top, he was so angry at their sin, he would shake the ladder and they would fall back down. He wouldn't help them come to heaven. But the people over here, Mary was reaching down and grabbing their hands and pulling them up to heaven. So this monk took his vision and he went to his... Uh, monk master supreme who then passed it on passed it on and it wound up getting to the pope and the pope amazed decreed well this then must be the truth we need to pray to mary for our redemption for, for redemption she's our grand redemptress for, for our redemption she redeems us we got to pray to mary so from that point forward it was then decreed in the roman catholic church you pray to Mary for your redemption. That's written documentation. They teach that. But what does the Bible say? God is not willing that any should perish. He's long-suffering to us, word. He loves us. He cares for us. He draws us. He so loved us, he came down and he died for us. He's not willing that any should perish. He calls all men everywhere to repent. But the Catholics turn Jesus into this angry, spiteful monster who won't do anything for you, who rather wants to throw you to hell, so you have to call upon his mommy, who then placates him until he calms down so then, you, so then she can then present your prayers and requests to him. The Catholic Jesus is a monster. They deify Mary in place of Jesus. And because Jesus is so mad having temper tantrums all the time, he won't do anything for you. So he, you have to go to his mother for everything. That's Catholicism. That's Catholicism. 
They destroy the Bible. They destroy grace. They destroy faith. They destroy Jesus. They destroy Mary. They destroy prayer. They destroy repentance. They destroy baptism. They destroy communion. They destroy heaven. They destroy hell. And they call themselves Christian. Catholicism is not Christian by any stretch of the imagination. They haven't the foggiest idea what it means to be Christian. They do not know who Jesus is, according to the Bible. They do not know how to be saved. They think they have to earn their salvation. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? God's word. Not the papal bulls. Not what the Pope says. What does scripture say? For by grace, unmerited favor. Unmerited. For by grace are ye saved through works. No, no. For by grace are ye saved through water bath. No, no. By grace are ye saved through Oreo Eucharist cookies. No, no. For by grace are you saved through wooden confessional boxes of guys dressed as mother wanted to be called father. No, no. For by grace are you saved through faith. By grace are you saved through faith. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's present tense. That's not future tense. It's not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be down the road sometime if you're good enough when you die. No, 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 no. It's present tense. Believe on now the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be, present tense, saved. For by grace are you saved. Are you saved by grace through faith? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For as Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his, his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God washes you clean. He cleanses you, purges you. He washes away your sins, saves you, seals you. In whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that, ye believed, you were sealed, the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.13. Let's look at Ephesians 1.7. In whom, Jesus, not Mary, in whom we have redemption, redeemed, bought out, saved, made new, changed. In whom we have redemption through his blood, not works, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Unmerited favor. We go to Acts 10.43. To him, Jesus, give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. When? When you believe. You're sealed by the Spirit of God and washed clean of your sins. Not when you get baptized. Not when you eat the Eucharist. Not when you drink the 
magic blood of Jesus. Not when you confess in the wooden box. Not when you say the Hail Marys. Not when you keep the Ten Commandments. Not when you suffer for your own sins in a fiery purgatory to atone for your own self. Your sins are forgiven. You're washed clean, made new, born again, saved the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 to 10. Go to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 to 10. Actually, let's go 9 to 13. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart men believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not according to the Catholics, though. Roman Catholicism is not Christian. They stole our name. They stole our name. You'll notice the vast majority of Catholics actually don't even call themselves Christians. This is also weird. Some do. More of the liberal ones do. But actually, you'll hear them say, no, I, I'm Catholic. You ask them, are you born again Christian? No, I'm Catholic. They don't call themselves born again. They actually deny the born-again Christian doctrine. They don't call themselves born-again. They say, no, I, I don't need to be born-again. I'm not born-again. I'm Catholic. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you could go many angles and approaching many different doctrines and practices of Roman Catholicism. But ultimately, what's important? How is one saved? Acts chapter 16. This is when Paul and uh, Paul and Silas were in the prison. Their feet in the stocks and they're chained up and the doors shut. And they were singing and praising God and a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands are loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's, that's the question. What must I do to be saved? Let's ask, let's ask the Mormon. Mr. Mormon, 
must I do to be saved? You have to be baptized. And you have to uh, convert to Mormonism. And you have and you have to then adhere to all the Mormon standards so that you can become a god of your own planet. And you have to make sure to to re to keep wearing your magic linen underwear that we will give you. And you can only take it off to go to the bathroom and to have a bath, but then you have to keep it on. If you're not if you die not wearing your linen underwear, you will not become the god of your own planet. I'm not joking. That's what they actually say. That's their actual belief system. Mr. Jehovah's Witness, what must I do to be saved? Oh, you need to call upon Michael the Archangel, who's actually Jesus, and you have to believe in him, and then you have to adhere to all Jehovah's Witness uh, works and, and rules and protocols, and you have to be good enough. And if you're actually good enough, you'll maybe become one of the 144,000 in heaven. Mr. Seventh-day Adventist, what must I do to be saved? You got to believe in Jesus. Okay, sounds sounds good. You got to believe in Jesus and you're you're saved by grace. Okay? But then you have to maintain and keep the law and the commandments and all, all of our protocols and Alan White's writings and follow, follow Seventh-day Adventism so that when you get to heaven and you stand before God, the, the investigative judgment doctrine, God will actually pull up all of your works and all this stuff, and he'll weigh it at, against your belief. And if you if you haven't done enough, because they weigh your good against your bad, you'll, you'll enter heaven if you're worthy enough to enter heaven. That's the investigative judgment. They investigate your life to see if you're worthy enough to enter heaven. So works-based again. Mr. Muslim, what must I do to be saved? Um... How can I be careful? According to the Quran, oh, ye Christians and Jews, we believe in the prophets like as you do, except they don't. Uh, you need to convert to Islam and you need to pray five times a day. You need to keep all the Islamic protocols and traditions. Or according to Islam, you immediately get a golden ticket to heaven if you kill a Christian or Jew. That's in the Quran. That's in the Quran, and according to the uh, to the actual original Qurans, which they don't want you to know about, it actually says in one of the earliest Qurans, a set which was written 70, 70 years after Muhammad, and they actually found it an original Quran. It says that when they die in the name of jihad, they'll, they'll inherit seventy bunches of grapes, not virgins. Seventy bunches of grapes. Mr. Hindu, what must I do to be saved? Uh, pick whatever god you want out of the 330 million different gods of Hinduism. Give your life to them and serve them. And, and if you're holy enough, you'll come back reincarnated as a cockroach or cow. Or if you're really good, you're like a priest or something, you'll just enter the, uh, enter the, uh, the universal holy consciousness. And maybe you might be reincarnated as another person. Okay. Mr. Buddhist, what must I do to be saved? Saved? Oh, you can shed your own sin. If you sit and meditate long enough and you can make yourself holy enough by meditating, you can shed your own sin. You can enter the oneness of the, of the consciousness of the universe. Okay. Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved, Apostle Paul? 
and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's it. It's that easy. It's that simple. There's no works, righteous works, law-keeping. There's nothing else you need to do. Water baptism does not affect your salvation. You don't have to eat cookies and bang your head on the floor five times a day, get dunked in water and, and confess in boxes and count beads and, and dunk yourself in a river multiple times a day all throughout the year. And You don't have to go meditate on a mountaintop or you don't have to go do anything. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You don't have to magically make manifest speaking in tongues or other kinds of things to get sealed by the Spirit of God. You're sealed by the Spirit of God by belief alone. That's what it says. You receive the Holy Spirit of God by belief alone. Ephesians 1.13 your, your sins are forgiven by belief alone. Ephesians 1.7, Acts 10.43 You know you're going to heaven. I know and am persuaded. I'm saved by belief alone. 1 John 5, 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. Because you believe. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I do that? Romans 10, not, that Romans 10 verses 9 to 10. Confess the belief of your heart. That Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 1 to 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which also ye have received and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. All have sinned, all have fallen away, all have become corrupt. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But God was not willing that any should perish, but, but he calls all men everywhere to repent. God so loved us that he made a way. Because he saw that, and he knows that we can't save ourselves. We can't atone for ourselves. We have no righteousness in us. We cannot earn righteousness. We cannot earn favor with God. We cannot atone for anything. We're hopeless, helpless sinners, condemned in our sins, lost, dead in our sins. But he so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. That the spirit of God, the Christ spirit of God came down. Was born of a virgin. It's Isaiah 7.14. This child born son given. The mighty God, Isaiah 9, 6. Born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. Who grew up amongst the people, unknown by the people, Isaiah 53. Who gave himself for our sins. He atoned for our sins. That he went to the cross and he was pierced through his hands, Psalm 22. The man of sorrows acquainted with grief, Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Who was put to death. But he was resurrected, Isaiah 53. Jesus, John chapter 4, verse 25, 26, says, says that he is the Christ Messiah to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he so loved you 
he saw you. He went, and the wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. He gave himself. As John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He pointed at Jesus. The Lamb of God, the Lamb sacrificed for sins. Because you cannot sacrifice yourself. Your own blood, which is corrupted by sin, can, you can't atone for yourself. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats can take away sin. But there's a one-time atonement, a one-time sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ. As the Lamb of God went up on Golgotha, nailed to the cross, shed his blood, died, was buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The same place, if you go back in time, to Abraham, Isaac, and the ram. Abraham and Isaac went up into Mount Moriah, where God told Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac. A foreshadowing picture of the only son. And Abraham found Isaac, placed him on the altar, took a knife. Abraham, a picture of God. Isaac, a picture of Jesus. Isaac is about to die. Sorry, Isaac, a picture of us. And then God stops Abraham's hand, creates the ram caught in the thicket by its horns. Ram caught in the thicket by its horns. A thicket, thorn bush, thorns wrapped around the head of the ram that was sacrificed in the place of Isaac. A substitutionary sacrifice. Mount Moriah, where Abraham, Isaac, and the ram took place, is also known as Mount Golgotha. The exact same place where, uh, where, the, where the ram crowned with thorns, substituted for Isaac, took place in the exact same place where Jesus, the Lamb of God, crowned with thorns, was substituted for you. And Jesus says, if you want to be saved, if you want your sins to be forgiven, if you want your soul set free, your name written down in the Lamb's book of life, you must be saved by grace, through faith, by belief. This is what scripture says. Galatians, the book of Galatians, was written by the Apostle Paul for a purpose to show that law-keeping is not a requirement. That there's nothing hinging upon our salvation other than belief alone by grace through faith. Read the book of Galatians. There are many other people. They'll say, no, no, you got to do, you got to do, got to keep, got to maintain, got to, got to earn. No, but that's not what the Bible says. Scripture utterly refutes all other belief systems. Name for me one single other belief system in the entire world other than born-again Christianity. And the entire world that teaches salvation by grace through faith, but belief alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ alone. You won't find one. You won't find one. The Catholics, not by grace. And they reduce the sovereignty of Jesus. Mormons, not by grace. And they reduce the sovereignty of Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses, not by grace. They reduce the sovereignty of Jesus. Same with the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Muslims and the Messianic Jews. The Messianic Jews are the exact same people that Paul was speaking to in the book of Galatians. 
the Messianic Jews say that you believe in Jesus, but you also got to keep the law. And if you don't keep the law in addition to believing in Jesus, you won't go to heaven. It's a works-based system. Read the book of Galatians. Circumcision availeth nothing. The law is not of faith. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the law is a curse unto death. The law is a schoolmaster for sin. It show, the law is to show you how you're a sinner and you can't be good enough. You can't be holy enough. You can't atone. You can't do anything. The law points you to the altar where there must be a substitutionary sacrifice. The law points you at the altar where Jesus Christ is, is sacrificed. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, which then frees you from the condemnation of the law. Galatians 2.16. Let's look at Galatians 2.16. Galatians chapter 2 verse 16 knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified by grace through faith alone the unmerited favor of God by faith. Faith is substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. I can't see it. I can't touch it. I can't affect it. It's believing trust. By grace, unmerited favor. By unmerited favor through believing trust, I'm saved. Not of works. Titus 3, 5. Not of righteous works. Galatians 2, 16. Not by works of the law. That right there. Is what Jesus means, and he says, The way is narrow, and few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are deceived thereby. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is as narrow as the word of God is thick. What does it say? Well, James chapter 2, James chapter 2, faith that works is dead. That was written to Christians who are already saved, and it's talking about charity and Christian behavior for the purpose of promotion of the faith, not maintenance of salvation. But Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10, 26 was written about people who receive the enlightenment. They get the, the gist of it. They get the glimpse through the keyhole. They understand how they're a sinner. They see how they need to be saved, and they reject it. They never got saved in the first place. It's by grace through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ. Alone. It's not by Mary. It's not by saints. It's not by angels. It's not by holy men. It's not by prophets. It's not by you. It's not by me. It's not by our works. It's not by our religiosity. It's not by our traditions. It's not by our protocols. It's not by our rituals. It's not by our charity. It's not by our Ten Commandment keeping. It's not by our hymn singing. It's not by going to church. It's not by reading your Bible. It's not by anything you do. Anything we do, anything we keep, anything we maintain, it's not by our hands, it's not by anything we see or touch. It's by grace, through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ alone. Anyone who says anything else is preaching to you a gospel of hell. All other belief systems are gospels of hell. Leading people to hell, 
deceiving them. So they will stand before the Lord on that day and they will scream and cry, Lord, Lord. Have we not done? Have we not done? Have we not done? Have we not done? He'll say, but I don't know you. And none of them will say, have we not believed in thy name? Because it's belief alone that saves. God does not reject or turn away or deny anyone who comes to him according to the gospel of Scripture. The gospel of Jesus Christ is salvation by grace through faith by belief alone. In Jesus Christ alone. Anyone saying anything else? Adding to it? Subtracting from that? Changing that? Is preaching to you a gospel of hell? Satan doesn't fight Catholicism. He runs it as he runs all other belief systems. He reduces the person of Christ and he strips grace. Preaching, therefore, a gospel of hell. Mary of Catholicism is not Mary of the Bible. The Jesus of Catholicism and all other belief systems is not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus said, many false Christs will arise. Many will come in my name, saying I am Christ, and will deceive many. Which Jesus are you believing in? Many in that day will cry, Lord, Lord. Many are believing in a Jesus the Jesus of Catholicism is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists, the Jesus of, of, of Catholics, of, of Muslims, of Hindus, of Buddhists, of witches and occultists and the Gnostics is not the Jesus of the Bible. Which Jesus are you believing in? The Jesus of the, of the Jews is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Messianic Jews is it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Messianic Jew Jesus says, you got to believe in me and keep the law. But no, you've stripped grace and therefore it's earned. That's what the Bible flat says, not by works, not by law keeping, it's not by righteous works. Your salvation is not hinged upon anything you see or do. So what's ultimately important out of everything? The deity of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace. Those are the two pillars of the born-again Christian faith. Those are the two things that the devil attacks. The devil doesn't care if you believe in Jesus as long as you don't believe he's God. Because if you do not believe that Jesus is God, you're not a Christian. You're not saved. Your salvation is mandatorily dependent upon your belief in the deity of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, you're not saved. Scriptures flat out say it. John 8, 24. If you don't believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. The I am right there in the Koine Greek means ego emi, which means the always existing one. And all throughout the scriptures. Old Testament, New Testament proves the deity of Jesus Christ. And grace, salvation by grace, not of works. If you think you have to do something in addition to believing, you're not saved. If you believe you have to be water baptized, have your sins forgiven, you're not saved. If 
Do you believe you have to maintain to keep your salvation? You're not saved because you're trusting in your works and not the grace of Christ. If you think your salvation can be lost, taken away, or recanted, you're not saved because you're believing in yourself. You're believing in your works to keep yourself saved, to earn your salvation by works, and that's a false gospel. Because if I could lose or have or have my salvation taken away, then that, that denotes I have to maintain to keep it. So that's salvation by works, like Seventh-day Adventists and Catholics. Oh, it glitched there, brother. So it's by works, like 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 some day Adventists or Catholics. What is the gospel according to Scripture? The gospel according to Scripture is received by grace through faith by belief alone in the Lord God Jesus Christ alone. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. There you go. So, there you go. That's that. Um, just going to go down through the comments here. Make sure I didn't miss anything. Any questions? Okay. Aaron asked a question up here. What's my opinion on the TV show Lucifer? Garbage. It's a bunch of debauchery, just nonsense garbage that's being portrayed as entertainment. It's abomination it's watering down and mocking uh, biblical truths about things and it's just it's it's utter nonsense and such a thing should not be your entertainment bunch of garbage and crystal it says catholics do worship mary and the saints and yes there are many rituals in the catholic church you do a ritual the moment you walk in yeah yeah exactly it's all ritualized it's all that's all religious mysticism uh, trying to earn your salvation and trying to earn favor with God. Yep. Uh, and about the Greek gods. Yep, the Greek gods and the Roman Catholicism. Yep. But it's, uh, that's where their saints came from. Uh, Rain, Rain of Love 930 says, what is the meaning of Luke 14? And verses... 25 and 33. Luke 14, verses 25. <clears throat> verse 25 33. Oh, about, okay. That's the... Okay, the first part about here, if anybody follow me, hate not as... Okay. Uh, my people are very confused about what Jesus says there about... Uh, Hate not his father and mother and all that. And they say, was well, Jesus telling us to hate each other? No, 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 no. This is where, where it's so important to do word studies. To do word studies. Uh, meaning there is, as we see throughout the scripture, we pair scripture to scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. And loving Christ, and to love Christ, that means that is uh, that you love Christ enough to leave family. That you would choose Christ over family. That from the outside, it would look like you don't love your family as much as you love Christ. Do you love your family? Yeah. But the amount that you love Christ, you're willing to die for him over your family. That's the meaning there. It doesn't mean despise, hate, in a malicious sense. It means 
means you choose Christ over. You'd be willing to leave your family over Christ. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, Christian is different than disciple. Is You can be a Christian and not a disciple, but you can't be a disciple unless you're a Christian. You must be born again, saved first. Bearing your cross, that's paired with James chapter 2 and 1 Peter 3.15 and all about the, about the works of the saints which is not salvation here, that if you want to serve Christ and you want to be his disciple, you need to bear your cross. What is That's the burden of Christ. You would bear the burden of Christ of going into all the world, preaching the gospel and doing those things required uh, to preach the gospel, to, to serve Christ. That's what that means about bearing your cross. And then he goes into giving a parable, an example to help you understand these things that you, you can't, is you're unfit for the service of the Lord if you keep going back to things of the world and you're and and you're not uh, and you're holding unforgiveness in your heart and you're not keeping your eyes solely on Christ. You're looking around and you're splitting your focus. You're unfit. That's what that means. If you want to serve the Lord, you need to give yourself, die to self. So that's the meaning of that passage. Uh, Green Love says, I was raised Catholic and I always felt something was wrong. Thank God I no longer follow anything Catholic. Except for my family, most won't let it go. Yeah. <clears throat> Wobbly says, Deja vu about my early days as a Catholic girl going to processions with my grandmother. I never understood uh, pinning money on the Virgin Mary statue. Yeah. Um, keep going down through. Wobbly Dark boots where you went to confess your sins while kneeling on a red velvet stool it was creepy and when the priest came in swinging a gold thing containing incense all the masses of Latin yeah it's all just garbage nonsense okay going down through okay now comment heroes may not I know made it in, in jest I get it um, yes there are some things about the chosen now let me just talk about the chosen there just for a moment folks now, whether you watch it, whether you don't watch it, that's completely up to you according to your, your, your opinions, your feelings there. But let me just clarify something. The Chosen series, yes, there's some things here and there that we would disagree with. But can you name for me a single Jesus film, Jesus series that is completely 100% biblical? Cue the Jeopardy theme music. Uh, they all have something wrong. There's always something wrong here or there in a Jesus series. Now, the Chosen series is more a fiction-esque type, where they where they kind of build on on supposed theoretical, artistic licensed background. Of the characters that follow Jesus in the G in the film The Chosen, Jesus uh, in the series, spoiler alert, claims to be God. That's biblical. Claims you're saved by faith alone, by grace alone. Biblical. It, so the Chosen series actually does portray the biblical gospel. Now there are different characters that are in the making of the series. Like, for example, the guy that plays Jesus is a Catholic. 
but he doesn't preach Catholicism in the series. The guy that plays Nicodemus is a staunch Hindu, but he doesn't preach Hinduism in the series. That, that yes, there may be different actors and different workers on the set from different belief systems, but their religions are not being preached in the series. I'm just saying. So, yes, there may be things here and there we disagree with throughout the series. Like, I was not happy about uh, season two, episode four. I think it was episode four. I was not happy about that one, the way they, they portrayed the Pool of Bethesda. But that wasn't salvationary. Can a person watch the Chosen series and come to understand who Jesus is according to Scripture? Could a person watch the Chosen series and come to understand that they're a sinner and they need to be saved and, and come to love Jesus of the Bible? Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, the Passion movie by Mel Gibson. The Passion movie, Passion of the Christ. There is a lot wrong with it. There is a lot wrong with it. But the portrayal of Jesus and the torture, the beating, the crucifixion, scores of people came to love Christ and even and many came to get born again saved because of that film. You know the older movie called just Jesus that actually went worldwide? Scores of people got saved because of that. But there's a lot wrong in that one too. So yes, there can be some things that we could disagree with, some things about it we may not like, but ultimately we have to look at it from a doctrinal standpoint on on where it stands on the gospel. Do they get Jesus right? Do they get salvation right? If they get Jesus right and they get salvation right, okay. Can God use it? Can God use it? Just saying. Again, if you like it, if you don't like it, that's completely up to you. If you want to watch it, you don't want to watch it, that's completely up to you. But just keep in mind, they do portray... Jesus and salvation correctly according to scripture. Just keep that in mind. Okay. <clears throat> Going down through. And uh, Angela says, people get very defensive when you say anything bad about the Catholicism. They get kind of evil looking. <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> oh man i'm telling you this past week i uh, i did some posts against catholicism on my instagram and oh boy i'll tell you i got cursed out i got such hate I got people calling me everything from, I, I was called Satan, I was called a devil, I was called a demoniac, I was called demon-possessed, I was called the Antichrist, I was called all kinds of evil stuff from Catholics, because I denounced the Catholic Church. Oh yeah. No grace. No love. Oh yeah. Angela says, I actually have a fear of statues. A Catholic church would be my worst nightmare. <laughs> uh, you're watching Doctor Who too much, eh? <laughs> uh, 
I don't watch Doctor Who. I just I've seen a couple of clips here and there. I'm sorry if I offend anybody, but I hate Doctor Who. I can't stand it. It's so corny. It's so stupid. But that's that's my stance on it. I'm sorry if that offends you. I can't stand Doctor Who. Okay. Now how do we get on that? Okay. Yeah, vice versa. Salvation by underwear, according to the Mormons. Yep. Okay, Angela says, I have a question. Is the word magic bad, no matter how you use it? Should I delete it from my vocabulary? Okay. This is something I have personally done a lot of work on. Studying this, portraying this, I got a whole playlist on defining magic according to the Bible, what is magic and what is biblical, what is not, and all this stuff. It's in regards to helping people, a playlist to help people who are coming out of the occult, coming out of witchcraft, coming out of the New Age, helping them to understand biblical doctrine and, and in regards to the previous life. That's the reason for that playlist on defining magic. Now, what is magic? Now, this word has become hyper taboo in our modern religious Christian circles where you don't say magic, you say miracle. Don't say magic. You, everyone, it, it's become a knee-jerk reaction where you just hate the word magic. Now, I have personally done a ton of study, and if you know anything about my background, you know what I'm about. You know my doctrines, you know my stance on the Bible, you know my stance on salvation and the gospel, my stance on uh, on occultism and New Age and all that versus the Bible. You know me, you know what I'm like. Uh, now, I am not an individual who waters down things, who beats around the bush and cheapens words and waters things down. I don't do that. I, I'm an individual who likes to study the meanings of words, and I like to bring everything back to what does the Bible say? The Word of God is my final absolute authority on all aspects of faith and practice of faith. Okay? Now, with that said, meanings of words are very important. This is why when you read the Word of God, you need to study the meanings of the words that are on the pages. So you have an a better grasp and understanding of what the text and context is. And the same goes to everything else and the words that you use. Now, when it comes to the world of magic and miracle, a miracle is something that God has done. That's where people say, well, and you don't say magic, you say miracle. Okay. Okay, I, I know what you mean, but let's just, for just a moment, to step back. What is the meaning, the actual meaning? What is magic? What is it? A lot of people have different definitions and meanings and things that pop up in their mind. But ultimately, when you really hammer it down and you blow away all the fluff and feathers and you look at the actual machinery of the thing, what is the actual meaning definition of what is magic? It is the, the circumstantial manipulation of the natural through supernatural means. The circumstantial manipulation of the natural through supernatural means. 
Now, what I mean by circumstantial, it's not like the movies where there's where there's lightning balls and flashes of light and fuzzy wuzzies and circling color things and whatever. No, it's not. It's not no sensations. It just happens when you pray. You pray that this person would be delivered. You pray this person would be helped and provided. It just happens. There's no fuzzy wuzzies and sensations and things and voices and angels singing or whatever else. It just, just happens. Moses threw down his staff and it just turned into a snake. Jenny's and Jambres threw down their staffs, turned into snakes. Moses struck the rock. Water just came out. Jesus just walked on the water. The water just turned to wine. The circumstantial manipulation, it just seems almost like circumstance, like happenstance. It just, just happened. The circumstantial manipulation, it manipulates the natural world. It manipulates the laws of physics. Peter's not supposed to be able to walk on the water to Jesus, but he did. Water's not supposed to turn to wine. The jar of oil and the barrel of meal not supposed to run out. Rocks don't produce water. Circumstantial manipulation of the natural through supernatural means. You're not supposed to be able to stand in a burning, fiery furnace and not get burnt. The circumstantial manipulation of the natural through supernatural means. Where it's the powers of the supernatural. Now, this is where the definition of what supernatural power is manipulating. Janes and Jambres are using a different power. Moses is using a different power than them. But ultimately, what occurred is what is called magic. People don't like hearing that. It goes against the common grain of catechismic ideology, where it's been hammered into us, magic is bad. No, it's not. There's bad magic. Like there's bad music. There's bad TV shows. There's bad books. There's bad people. Magic is the circumstantial manipulation of the natural supernatural means. Well, we shouldn't use that word because people won't like it. Oh, you mean like the word religion? Oh, you mean like the word spiritual? Oh, you mean like the word church? You mean like all of the other religious-esque words and terms that we use that the rest of the world also uses? Uh, the world also uses the term God. They also use the name of Jesus. They also use the word angel. So we, so why should we stop using words? All because the unsaved also use them. This is what's called holy reclamation, where we take the terms and words back and we just use them correctly. The act of miracles is called magic. The word's not bad. But there's bad terms and bad practices of it. As the as Elijah standing on Mount Carmel, and he kneels down and he calls upon the Lord, and he prays unto the Lord, and fire falls from heaven. Circumstantial manipulation of the natural, the supernatural means. And fire fell. The sea split. Water came from the rock. Plagues on Egypt. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All of the miracles, the iron axe had floated. All of these things, the blind can see, the lame can walk, the deaf can hear, the mute can talk. 
What is that? The circumstantial manipulation of the natural, the supernatural means. That's the the miracle of God, the power of God. It's called magic. People just don't understand the meaning of the words. So we need to educate people on the proper usage. And I actually have a video for those who are also interested. If you want to know more, uh, please go check out the playlist Defining Magic. And in there, I got a couple videos on contemplative prayer and meditation. Go check that out. I have a video on right and wrong mysticism. Right and wrong mysticism. I got a bunch of other videos, all this stuff, and helping people to understand the definitions of terms. So, there you go. No, magic's not bad, but there's bad magic. Okay. Okay, Mario says, Pentecostal saying that if you do not speak different languages you do not have the holy spirit well they're wrong they're wrong we need to go read ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. you receive the holy spirit of god when you believe in the gospel and the languages they're speaking is not biblical tongues anyways okay, mario says angela uh, god did not have does not have connection with magic right no uh, so again like i said there's there's the powers of god and there's powers of the of the demonic the powers of the devil so uh, there's the miracles of God, and then there's the miracles of the devil. And the devil also works miracles. Look at Janice and Jambres. Look at uh, Simon the sorcerer in the Bible who, who deceived people through his sorceries and his magic, and people believed him to be the great power of God. So you see there's right and wrong. Okay, Angela has a question. Did God try to have us earn our salvation before Jesus died on the cross? No, 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 no. They were not saved by works. They were not saved by keeping of law and commandments in the Old Testament. No, no, no. Uh, the Old Testament, in, in a way, in a sense, you could word it as, was the physical picture. The New Testament is the spiritual picture. So the Old Testament is a foreshadowing picture of the New Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, they were saved by grace through faith, by belief alone. Now, they believed in the Lord, they were saved, and then, and then there is the lamb sacrifice of the uh, atonement for the sins that they, it was offered up for this. That's how it worked. But they were saved by grace, by faith. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Now, the high priest would go into the temple, into the holiest of holies, with the, with the blood offering, with the blood atonement, that he would offer up once a year for all. A one-time atonement for all. So, like, for example, the 120,000 Gentile Ninevites that got saved by the preaching of Jonah, did they have to go, to go to Israel and keep all the laws of Moses and offer all the sacrifices to be saved? No, they were saved by grace through faith. Look at Nebuchadnezzar, the Gentile emperor of Babylon. Got saved and wrote Daniel chapter 4. He didn't have to do any of those things. So we see that salvation is by grace through faith all throughout the word of God. Always has been. Just the Old Testament picture had, had foreshadowing image pictures. That the sacrifices were a foreshadowing picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God. You go back before the laws of Moses. How, how were they saved? The laws of Moses hadn't been given yet. 
They didn't have the temple ordinances and that kind of stuff yet. Well, they offered up the sacrifice. For what reason? There must be a shedding of blood of a lamb for the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. But salvation, assured salvation, is by belief alone. It's by belief alone. The, 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 the sacrifices were there, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lamb of God, seated in the right hand of the Father, intercedes, advocates, inter uh, mediates for us, forgives our sins. When we confess our sins, our sins, the sin. They, the, the saved, when they need their sins forgiven, they'd offer up the Lamb. But our Lamb has already been offered, a one-time sacrifice. That's what that was about. But their salvation was by grace through faith. Okay. And Mario, yes, uh, as we see throughout the scriptures as well, uh, the prophets also spoke of this, about how when the Messiah comes, uh, he, they also call, call himself a people out of the Gentiles. And that uh, Abraham was a Gentile. Oops. Yeah, Abraham was a Gentile, 120,000 Gentile Ninevites, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Pharaoh Nebo, Pharaoh Nebo was a believer in Jehovah God. So yes, uh, God makes no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, and God calls uh, calls all people to repentance. He wants all people to be saved. Uh, John 3.16 is Old Testament. John chapter 3, uh, where Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, is Old Testament. So, again, the Greeks, when they heard about Jesus and Jesus' ministry, came down to see Jesus, and they wanted to believe in him, too. And, and we see Romans, uh, during the ministry of Jesus, Romans are believing in Jesus and getting saved. Uh, so, again, we see the Samaritans. Jesus went to the Samaritans, and he stayed there for two days, and, and they all believed on him. So, yeah, there's no difference between the Jews and Gentiles. So, yeah. Um, okay, going down through the comments. And, uh, yeah, if you, uh, out of the different Jesus films, we were talking about that earlier, about, you know, The Chosen, all the different Jesus films. Yeah, I do want to say, uh, personally, my personal favorite, if you want to see, it's free on YouTube. It's a little over three hours. It's excellent. I highly recommend it. Check it out. Now, there's a couple little things here and there through it that I just kind of eh, overlook. But overall, it's fantastic. I love it. Um, is uh, the Jesus movie. It's called The Gospel of John. It's my personal favorite. I love it. I've seen it so many times. I, I, and I, I'll see, be seeing it a whole bunch more. I play it all the time. I just love it. Yeah, check it out. The Gospel of John, Jesus film. It's fantastic. Okay. Going down through. <laughs> Angela says, I love Doctor Who, but, but you can't find two Christians that agree on everything. <laughs> yeah, that, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, Mario says, I really recommend to you to see the video. Okay. Um, yeah. 
Okay, going down through Angela says we have a magical drug. Yeah. That's it. That, it's the the circumstantial manipulation of the natural through supernatural means. And how does God work? He works circumstantially. He manipulates the natural through his supernatural power. That's what that is. But people won't like certain words and terms and things. And this is why we've got to educate ourselves. So there you go. We've covered a lot of ground, a lot of stuff. Um, so again, this, this broadcast primarily is targeting Roman Catholicism to see, okay, what is Roman Catholicism all about and what does the Bible say? So please make sure you rewatch this. If you appreciate these studies, please give us a like and a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icon. So, you know, when we put up new videos and check out all our other videos, we got tons of videos and playlists and topics and discussions and debates and stuff. Please make sure you check it all out. And give them likes as well. And check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. christiancoffeetime.ca. Got a ton of links on our different platforms and all kinds of other goodies. We got free downloadable PDFs of the gospel tracks. And we got links to our two shops as well. Our Redbubble and Etsy shop. The merchandise there, check that out. We also uploaded some new designs to the Redbubble store. Make sure you check that out. And if you have any comments, questions, anything else about that, please go ahead. Let us know. We'd be happy to get back in touch with you. Okay. Now, Angela has a question. This is kind of a weird question, but why is there so much power in blood? Why not heart, lungs, etc.? Um, by what definition meaning do you mean like power as in the, like the blood of Jesus kind of thing? Uh, why is it blood and why is it not something else? Scripture tells us life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Can you live without your heart? Yeah, they can replace it with a machine. So the reason uh, the rest of your body runs is because of blood. Blood is the life thereof, as we see in Genesis chapter 9. Uh, verse 3, every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. Our life is in the blood. The blood is life. So that's what God has stated. That's how he made it. That's how he created it. And this is what he has decreed. That the power and the life is in the blood. So... You can't atone salvation any other way there, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So there must be life for life. That's what it comes down to. A life for a life. The shedding of life, blood, for life. So the, the life of God, the life of Jesus, God's own blood, Acts 20, 28, is shed for your life because our lifeblood is corrupted by sin his is not his is holier more powerful than ours his is able to save ours is not that's why it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats could take away sin but it can cover the blood of bulls and of goats could cover that's why they kept having to do it they would cover and cover and cover and cover and cover but it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats could take away sin but by the blood of Jesus Christ, the one-time atonement takes it away. 
his blood can take away. Our blood, any other blood, is not, it's not possible that any other can take away. Any other cannot take away sin. His can. So that's where God has made it that way. That's how he's decreed. And so that proves to you, shows you how water, baptism, Eucharist, uh, works, self-atonement, nothing else can deal, can handle sin. It has to be blood. It has to be the blood of Christ. Not water baptism, not not mass, not Eucharist, not anything else, not self-atonement, not our blood, not bulls and goats, not vegetables like cane. There's nothing, nothing else can be offered up in the place. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ, which is imputed upon you by grace through faith alone. He gives it by grace, through faith, by belief. So there you go. Yep. There you go. So I hope that helps. And uh, if there's anything else, let me know. And uh, with that, uh, I think we'll wrap that up there. Uh, we've gone for two hours, eight minutes. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm just seeing if there's anything else I missed that I want to bring up. No, I don't think so. Pretty much covers it. So there you go. There you go. All right, so with that then, God bless you folks. Thank you so much for joining in. Make sure to give us a like and subscribe. Hit notification bell icon. Share this video around and uh, as well. Um, I'm going to be adding in the description box once we're done here, and I'll be going through the edit and put all the hashtags on stuff in it. Um, I'm going to be adding in the description box a link to a documentary you need to see, okay? If you have not seen this documentary, make sure you watch it at least once and then share it around. This documentary is called The True History of the Evil Roman Catholic Church. It goes back into the actual documented history of its origin, where it came from, what they're all about, and the evils and the sins and the crimes and all the stuff the Catholic Church is guilty of, what the popes have done, all the history of Roman Catholicism. Make sure you watch it. You need to see it. It'll just blow your mind how bad, how evil the Roman Catholic Church actually is. Um, and then you watch that in, in addition to this broadcast and you see what the gospel is all about. So, um yeah, and my personal testimony, uh, many here actually have seen it. If you haven't seen it, you can check it out in the playlist called Testimonies. Uh, you'll find mine uh, where I got born again, saved out of the world of witchcraft. So uh, praise our Lord Jesus Christ for saving me and for saving you. Everyone, yeah, give our Lord Jesus Christ thanks and praise for our salvation. He saves us by grace, through faith, by belief alone. All our sins are washed away. All your sins be as scarlet, they should be washed whiter than snow, though they be red like crimson, they should be washed white like wool. And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. He washes away our sins and he forgives us and saves us, gives us a new name and glory. So praise our Lord. We're saved by grace through faith, by belief alone in the Lord God, Jesus Christ alone. So, so be watching for the link. I'll be adding it in as soon as we're done here. And uh, make sure you watch that, share it around. And with that, God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless. <laughs>